Could the Baltimore Orioles actually be buyers at this year's trade deadline? That's one of the three questions I'm going to answer coming up on today's Mailbag Friday episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Friday, July 1st, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, it is a Mailbag Friday edition of the podcast. I'm going to answer three of your Orioles questions, all coming from listeners here on today's pod. One question about if the Orioles could be buyers at the trade deadline and what they would look for, a question about Anthony Santander and what his future looks like with the Orioles, and then a question about the O's and Nestor Cortez and why he could never have that success with Baltimore that he's currently having with the Yankees. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. But before we get there, just did want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. Locked on Orioles is free and available on all podcast listening platforms. We've got new episodes Monday through Friday on Apple Pods, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you listen. If you could leave a five-star rating and a review on those apps, it really, really helps out the pod. And of course, we're here on YouTube, the Locked on Orioles YouTube channel, up above 500 subscribers. That is thanks to you. If you haven't subscribed yet, hop over to YouTube, hit that red subscribe button, like and comment on the videos as well. And uh, you will continue to get this fantastic Orioles content here on the pod. But again, thank you, the listener, for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And for your first listen today, it is Mailbag Friday to end the week as the O's, of course, were off on Thursday before traveling to Minneapolis for a three-game series on the road against the Minnesota Twins this weekend. But before we get to that series, wanted to answer some questions from the listeners. And let's jump right into it. Our first question comes from a fellow member of the Baltimore Orioles podcasting gang. That is Bob Phelan on Twitter. Of course, one of the co-hosts of BSL on the Verge, a fantastic podcast covering all things Orioles minor leagues. Make sure to go check that one out. But Bob asked a question and Twitter users Lago4x and Todd Martin also asked questions that were fairly similar to Bob. So I kind of combined them all into one. So Bob asks, what pitchers with team control should the Orioles target in trades and what would it take to get them? And part of some of the other questions that I combined in is, would it be at this year's trade deadline or would it be this offseason? And it kind of brings together, you know, would the Orioles consider being buyers at this trade deadline? They could even be buyers and sellers at the same time because they're going to trade off a few players. But, you know, it's more likely that they trade four players this offseason. But hey, if they get the right price, maybe they do trade for a big leaguer at this year's deadline. Now, it doesn't seem super likely that they'll do it at the deadline. It'll obviously be a higher price to get a player for that extra half season. And you have to think the Orioles are probably not going to be in a very close to playoff position come August 2nd, this year's deadline. You never know. It's a month away. Things could happen. But I really wouldn't think they would try to go all in. But if the right player comes along... Maybe it's the time. So answering Bob's question, I came up with three veteran starting pitchers who, you know, are signed through at least 2023. And I thought the Orioles could be 
interested in. And this is one guy that actually Todd, who asked a question as well, brought up his name. And it's a guy who I've mentioned multiple times on this podcast, and that is Tyler Molly, the right-hander for the Cincinnati Reds. Now, Molly is signed with Cincinnati through 2023. So he has the rest of this year and all of next season on his rookie contract. He's making $5.2 million in arbitration this year. He'll obviously make more than that, you know, somewhere between six and seven million, maybe a little bit more on his contract for 2023. And even if his arbitration number goes all the way up, you know, it could get close to 10 million potentially. It's still pretty cheap for the pitcher that Tyler Molly can be. Now, he is having a little bit of a down year here in 2022. His stats through 16 starts this season, a 4.53 ERA, 87 and a third innings, 10 Ks per nine, 3.3 walks per nine, and a 2.1 war according to Fangraphs. Now, Despite the ERA being at 4.53, which would be the highest of his career, he has a 3.38 FIP on the season, which basically shows that with better defense, better ballpark circumstances, he would have better stats. And that pretty much lines up with where Tyler Molly pitches, because the 3.38 FIP is actually the best FIP of his career, despite having the worst ERA of his career. It's a very interesting season that Molly is having. Now, he's a right-hander with a really high spin fastball, throws in the mid-90s, really good slider, adds a changeup in there. He has a good mix of pitches, and he's been great for the Reds over the past couple of years. But the reason I bring him up is because we know the Reds just went into basically full fire sale mode this offseason. They're probably going to do it again at the deadline, and honestly are probably going to do it again this upcoming offseason as well. And I don't know if they'll trade Molly at this deadline, but I definitely think they'll trade him this offseason with just one more year remaining on his contract. So either way, I think the O's should go after him because the most interesting part of Tyler Malley is where he pitches. Great American ballpark in Cincinnati. Especially now with Oriole Park having moved the wall back, most park factors have Great American ballpark as the most hitter-friendly park in baseball. Now, Yankee Stadium is obviously right up there. And, you know, in any metric, basically Great American Ballpark is top three in terms of hitters parks, which makes it bottom three in terms of pitchers parks. And that park has always, you know, Molly's numbers have always been a little bit better on the road because of where he pitches. But that park is killing him this year. Molly at home has a 5.13 ERA. Molly on the road has a 3.83 ERA and a 2.68 FIP on the road. He's been dominant on the road, and he's given up a lot of home runs at home. But here's the interesting part. His home runs per nine, which are at 0.93, is his career best number. So even though he's giving up homers at home, he's basically not letting the ball leave the ballpark when he's on the road in bigger parks. Now look at Camden Yards with the left field wall moved back. It is one of the more pitcher-friendly ballparks now in baseball. You combine that with the stuff of Tyler Molly, he's able to keep the ball in the ballpark even more. It could be a perfect combination. And even if, you know, the O's just trade for him this offseason, yeah, they'd only have one year on that deal, maybe you can extend him. And here's the good thing about Molly: Despite the underlying stats being good, the surface stats are some of the worst of his career. So maybe his price right now, even a little lower than it could be in the offseason. Or maybe it's lower than it would have been last year. 
it could be a perfect time for the O's to go get him. And it would take some prospect haul to get a guy like Tyler Molly. You're dipping into at least one and maybe two of your top 10 prospects. You're dipping into a Connor Norby type player. You know, maybe you're dipping into a Drew Rahm type player. Now you're probably trading from depth in the system, which is hitters and especially some infielders. Maybe you're looking at a Connor Norby and Joey Ortiz type package and maybe even more to get Tyler Molly. But it's probably worth it to get a starting pitcher who could be that good for the Orioles moving forward. But that's not the only name I wanted to bring up because there's a couple other names who I think could be interesting as well for trade targets, either at this deadline or more likely in the offseason for the Orioles. How about Kyle Hendricks? We all know him as a former Cy Young winner for the Chicago Cubs, but he's had a rough couple of years now. He was struggling in 2021, and those struggles have continued here in 2022. Hendricks this season now getting towards his mid-30s, 14 starts, and a career-worst 4.90 ERA so far this season. He has a 4.87 FIP, which means you know he's not underperforming much. And his 6.6 Ks per nine, second worst number of his career, 2.5 walks per nine, also the second worst number of his career. And it's following up him having a 4.77 ERA in, you know, a a whole bunch of innings in 2021. Back-to-back rough years for Hendricks, and you know, that that slow fastball he throws, that sinker that's kind of 87-88 with the slow changeup, not working as well as it used to. The Cubs are horrendous this year. They sold off most of their team at last year's deadline. They're going to trade more guys at this year's deadline. And maybe Hendricks is one of those guys. He's a free agent after 2024, so he still has all of this season plus two more years under contract after that. He would be owed $14 million next season and $16 million in 2024. So a little bit of a price, but not crazy, crazy expensive. And that's especially if you can get him back to what, or at least close to, what he used to be. And the one good number on Kyle Hendricks this year is that it's 1.55 home runs per nine this year, 1.54 home runs per nine last year. And although that number isn't super low, it's pretty on par with, you know, what a bad season would be. And those two numbers, way above his career averages. So if you can get him to Oriole Park, get the home runs down, maybe you've got something there. But at the end of the day, even if Kyle Hendricks isn't the Cy Young pitcher that he was, if you can get him to be around a four ERA guy, he pitches a lot of innings and is a veteran guy, you know, if you can go get him maybe this offseason for two years of control and, you know, he he continues to have a bad season this year, maybe he ends with, a you know, an ERA just short of five. His value is going to be fairly low. Maybe you can go get him fairly cheap and get a veteran for two years. And then the other guy I wanted to throw in there was Ryan Yarbrough, who is currently in AAA with Tampa Bay because he has struggled so much this year. In seven appearances this year, 28 and two-thirds innings, a career-worst 5.65 ERA for the Tampa Bay Rays left-hander. His strikeout percentage is his career-worst. His walk percentage is his worst since 2018. And he wasn't very good last year. You know, he threw 155 innings and had a 5-1-1 ERA for the Rays last year. But here's the thing on Ryan Yarborough. His home run late rates are pretty normal. And a 326 BABIP this year, the majors, shows he was a little unlucky to get that ERA over five. So he's another guy who could be a very buy-low candidate for the Orioles. 
He is a, you know, signed through 2024. So if you got him at this year's deadline, two and a half years remaining. And maybe if you worked out something with Tampa Bay, where you gave them a major league player, you got a prospect back and you got Ryan Yarborough back, a little bit of a reclamation project with the bigger ballpark in Baltimore. You can have, you know, somebody you can work with who has pitched on some good teams over the last couple of years and really help out the Orioles. And maybe in that trade, someone the Rays could use from the O's is a guy like Anthony Santander because the Rays have playoff aspirations, but their outfield has been horrendous this year. So maybe Santander for a prospect and Yarborough is something the Orioles would want to try to pull off. But coming up next, I'm going to answer the second mailbag question of the day having to do with Anthony Santander. What's his future with the Orioles? And will he be traded at this year's deadline? I'll answer that coming up in just a second. But first, got to tell you about betonline.net, your one-stop shop for all of your sports gambling needs. Now, I know the NBA season, NHL season are over, but we're still in full swing for Major League Baseball. And you get all the latest MLB developments, league reviews, and news, live scores, live betting, all you need for baseball at betonline.net. And you can get all your podcasts like this one. You can get news, injury news as well. And betonline.net is also the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your other favorite sports, including MMA, boxing, and golf every weekend. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action at betonline.net, where the game starts. So it's a Mailbag Friday episode here on the Locked On Orioles podcast. And the second question of three that I'm going to answer today has to do with the Orioles at the trade deadline, but not who they might be bringing in, but who they could be trading away. And specifically, this question came from Claiborne via Twitter, and also Big Mike V asked a part of this question on Twitter and said, how do you see Anthony Santander's future playing out with Baltimore? Will they trade him at the deadline? And Big Mike kind of chimed in with this question asking if the Phillies could potentially be a fit for Anthony Santander at this year's deadline. And to start with the Phillies, it could be a fit because Philadelphia is looking for outfield help, especially with Bryce Harper injured now and out at least six weeks. He's only DHing even when you know he comes back from that broken hand. The issue with the Phillies, I think, is that Santander is obviously signed through 2024. And when Bryce Harper gets back to being healthy, he's going to play the outfield. They still have Kyle Schwarber locked up, they have Castellanos locked up, and they have Herrera in that outfield. So I don't know how Santander fits them long term. They'd probably be more after a guy like Jorge Lopez of the Orioles with the Philadelphia Phillies, but Santander could fit there. But I wanted to look at some other teams who really could be after Anthony Santander because I do believe, and I've said it on this podcast, I think the Orioles are going to trade Anthony Santander at this year's deadline. He's having the best complete season of his career by far since coming to the big leagues in 2017. He's basically extrapolated what he did in the shortened season in 2020 before the injury. And, you know, he's still at least average in the outfield. He's a switch hitter. He leads the Orioles in home runs. He's showing the power. He's basically doubled his career walk rate, been much more patient as a hitter this year. And he's got team control. Again, he is signed through 2024. So if someone acquires him at the deadline, they'd get two and a half years of Anthony Santander, a guy who you want starting in your outfield if you're trying to be a playoff team. And on the flip side for the Orioles, yes, Santander has been great, but I truly believe, and I think the Orioles believe this, that Kyle Stowers is going to be a better player. And maybe Colton Kowser and Heston Kerstad could also be better players. Now, the difference with Stowers is he's ready to go. You know, we've already seen him 
for a week. Really, he played in two games in the big leagues up in Toronto, replacing Santander, who, of course, is unvaccinated and did not travel to Toronto. But we saw Stowers. He got his first big league hit, RBI, incredible power. He's cutting down on the strikeout rates as well. He's ready to go. And if the Orioles trade Santander, get a good return, and can immediately replace him you know, in right field with Kyle Stowers, who's ready to go, and I think long-term is a better baseball player, that's a win-win for the O's, which is why I think they're going to deal him at the deadline. So the question becomes, who could be in the market for Anthony Santander? Now, Santander threw 70 games this season, entering play on Friday, 290 plate appearances, 235 hitter with a 329 on base and a 424 slugging, team high 14 home runs, and he's got a 115 WRC plus on the season. Again, the 10.5% walk rate is by far the best of his career. And, you know, he's only got a 253 BABIP on the season, which means maybe you're getting a little unlucky even with balls in play. Defensive metrics have him at best an average outfielder this season. You know, he's been about 0.5 F war, but just a solid player to have in your outfield is what he is. And when he has that much control, two and a half years, he becomes, you know, an, an even more enticing guy to acquire. So in terms of teams looking for outfield help, I, I came up with two teams in the NL and two teams in the AL. But I brought this up on the Locked on Orioles Twitter feed earlier this week, and it's something to consider because as we know and saw this year, Anthony Santander is unvaccinated, which means he cannot travel to Toronto. When the O's went up to Toronto a couple weeks ago for the four-game series, Santander could not travel. Kyle Stowers, of course, replaced him on the roster. And the O's have two more series on the schedule after the trade deadline where they're set to go to Toronto. But if you're an American League team, would you heavily pursue Anthony Santander? It's something to think about because the Toronto Blue Jays are certainly a playoff team this year. And while they're probably not going to win the AL East, the Yankees have that locked up, Toronto could certainly host playoff games. You know, in the first wildcard round, if they're the top wildcard team, it will be them hosting a three-game series. If you're another team in the AL wildcard going to Toronto, you wouldn't have maybe a starting outfielder in Santander for an entire playoff series. And even beyond that, the Blue Jays have the talent to go to the World Series, so they could advance in the AL playoffs. If you're playing the Blue Jays in the ALCS, do you potentially want to not have one of your starting outfielders for three of those games? It's really something AL teams will think about. But the two AL teams I came up with, funny enough, are AL East foes. And I think we're a little past, you know, all the stigma around trading in your division. But the first team is the Red Sox. Boston has an 88 WRC plus from its outfielders this year. That is 26th in baseball. They're giving at-bats to Jackie Bradley Jr., who's been horrendous, 54 OPS plus on the season. Enrique Hernandez has not been good, and he's been injured for a while. They've got guys, you know, Alex Verdugo has basically been a league average hitter, not getting what they want out of him. And the other guys that have been playing in the outfield, Jaron Duran, you know, a very small sample size. He's been solid, but again, you don't know. He's a rookie. And then Rob Refsnyder, you know, kind of a, a journeyman who, yeah, has hit well in the two weeks he's been with the Red Sox, but Rob Refsnyder is not going to keep hitting like that all season. The Red Sox need an outfielder. Maybe Santander is that guy. You know, they have some prospects they could give to the Orioles. And then the other team is the Rays, because the Rays and the Red Sox are both currently in wildcard positions, but they need outfield help. The Rays, 92 WRC plus from their outfield, is 20th in baseball, but that gets even worse when you realize 
Manuel Margot is most likely out for the season for the Tampa Bay Rays. He was on fire this year. For the entire season, Margot, who you know plays all three outfield positions, had been the Rays' best hitter. Well, he gets injured a couple of weeks ago. Looks like he's done for the year. The guys behind him, you have Josh Lowe, who you called up with a 56 OPS+, and Brett Phillips with a 46 OPS+. Those two guys have been black holes on offense. Kevin Kiermeyer has been better, better than you would expect. He's also injured right now as well. So the Rays just are looking for anything to help them in the outfield. Anthony Santander is a guy who can certainly help them in the outfield. And as we know, the Rays have a top five farm system, certainly would have the players to acquire a guy like Santander. But I do think it's more likely he goes to the National League. And I think a little bit of that is because of the vaccination status. And there's two teams over there, two playoff teams, who I think could really use Santander. The first is the San Diego Padres. Now, it's a little tougher because they've traded a lot of their farm system the past couple of years to build up this roster. But the Padres have one gaping hole on that team, and it is in the outfield. They have an 89-team WRC Plus from the outfielders. That's 23rd in baseball. Trent Grisham, he got hot in June, but he's still been a nightmare. 77 OPS Plus this year. Will Myers has a 70 OPS Plus. He's been bad. He's injured. Nomar Mazzara, they recalled. He's been actually good, but you can't trust Nomar Mazzara with his track record. Go get Santander. Get another former Oriole on the Padres with Manny Machado and Ryan Flaherty. And then the other team is the Brewers, who seem to always need hitting. The Brewers have a 91 WRC plus from the outfield. That's 22nd in baseball. Andrew McCutcheon's been a little below average this year. You know, Christian Yelich has been good, but... They DFA'd Lorenzo Cain because he was having a horrible season. Tyrone Taylor's been all right. Hunter Renfro hasn't been very good, and he's injured. Brewers can always use an extra bat, as we've seen pretty much the last five years they've gone to the postseason. That team is all pitching, and Christian Yelich, they could certainly use a switch hitter like Santander. So those are the teams, and there's a couple more teams around them, including, you know, if Cleveland wants to be a buyer, the, you know, former team of Santander, who the Orioles, they got Santander from Cleveland in the Rule 5 draft. They need outfield help badly. There's a lot of teams that could use him, especially with the DH and the NL. He's a switch hitter. He's having his best offensive season. I think the O's will trade him. I think they will be suitors, and I think they can get something at least solid back for Santander and replace him maybe to the same production with Kyle Stowers. But one more question to answer here on the podcast coming up. And I, I talked about Santander maybe being traded in division with you know potentially the Rays and the Red Sox being interested. But speaking of moves in division, you know, Nestor Cortez of the Yankees, if you remember, he was once an Oriole. And we got a question about why he didn't work out with the Orioles. Well, I'll address that coming up in just a second. So on our final question of a Mailbag Friday episode here on the pod, got a question in from Bob the Moose via the Apple review section. And that is really the most helpful way to send in mailbag questions. Of course, if you want a mailbag question answered on a future episode, you can email us at LockedOnOrioles at gmail.com. You can tweet the podcast account at LockedOnOrioles. You can tweet me at Connor Newcomb underscore or DM either accounts on Twitter. The DMs are open, but you can also leave a mailbag question in the YouTube comments That's a pretty good way to do it. And also in the Apple podcast review section, if you leave a question, that is what Bob the Moose did. And he asks, why do you think the Orioles missed on Nestor Cortez? Of course, if you know Nasty Nestor at this point, he's had back-to-back great years 
with the Yankees in the rotation. And this year, 14 starts for the Yankees. Cortez a 2.51 ERA. That's after he had a 2.90 ERA last year in 93 innings with New York. He's probably going to be an all-star here in 2022 as really the... You could probably argue the Yankees' second-best starting pitcher this year behind Garrett Cole. I mean, that, that's that's pretty good for Nestor Cortez. But if you remember, Cortez, once upon a time, was a Baltimore Oriole. In December of 2017, the Orioles selected Nestor Cortez in the Rule 5 draft out of the Yankees' system ahead of the 2018 season. And Cortez, as a Rule 5 pick, of course, had to be kept on the Major League roster all year to stay with the Orioles, and he did make the opening day roster for the 2018 O's. And remember, this was before they blew it up at the 2018 deadline. Now, they didn't start the year well, and they ended up being a bad team, but they still had some good players on that roster, and Cortez made the roster. Now, it did not go well. He appeared in four games out of the bullpen in four and two-thirds innings. He allowed four runs on 10 hits with three strikeouts, four walks, and two home runs allowed. And if I'm remembering correctly, he pitched in the ninth inning of a game where the Orioles were trailing by a run or two, and he loaded the bases and gave up a grand slam that you know put the game away for the opponent and uh, basically ended his time as an Oriole there. He was returned to the Yankees on April 13th, so he did not stick around too, too long in 2018. But the question is, you know, why did the Orioles miss on this guy who's been so good? Well, first of all, let me just remind you that the Yankees almost missed on this guy as well. The Yankees actually traded Nestor Cortez away for cash considerations in November of 2019. Then he became a free agent after the 2020 season. And in January of 2021, the Yankees re-signed him to a minor league deal. He came into camp, made the team, the rest is history. He's been really good over the last two years. So the Yankees didn't even really see it in him for a while there. But the reason why the Orioles, you know, didn't have this version of Nestor Cortez is because this version of Nestor Cortez did not exist back in 2018. Now, the O's obviously saw something because you always see something when you draft a player in the Rule 5 draft, but it was a different repertoire from Cortez back then. With what he threw with the Orioles in those four and two-thirds innings in 2018, first of all, his fastball velocity that year, 87.9 miles per hour was the average. Cortez now... 91.3 miles per hour is the fastball average. So almost four miles per hour difference in the fastball. That definitely makes a huge difference. The other thing was, Nasty Nestor's best pitch right now is his cutter. That is one of the best cutters in Major League Baseball. That is why Cortez is so good. Nestor Cortez did not throw that cutter back in 2018. In fact, he didn't throw a cutter until he re-signed with the Yankees in 2021. So it wasn't just an Orioles anti-cutter thing back in the day. The Yankees didn't even have him throwing that pitch. That's his best pitch now by far. He gets righties and lefties out with that pitch. And the other thing was, Cortez was a fastball, curveball, changeup guy when the Orioles got him. He is now fastball, cutter, slider with the occasional changeup. He doesn't even throw his curveball anymore and he barely throws his changeup and his fastball has way more velocity. And he doesn't, he didn't have his best pitch back then in the cutter. Basically, all that is to say, he was a completely different pitcher with a completely different repertoire back in 2018 and certainly didn't have the confidence he has now to, you know, throw off all these hitters' timings with the different deliveries and all that jazz he does on the mound. So at the end of the day, yeah, I would love to have Nestor Cortez the way he is right now on this Orioles team. It would help immensely. 
but he wasn't even close back then to the pitcher he is now. And the Orioles really couldn't have even seen it coming because the Yankees didn't see it coming. They traded him away and then re-signed him to a minor league deal and then turned him into this. So he was nowhere close the end to the pitcher he is now. Just unfortunate for the Orioles. They saw something, obviously, to take him in the Rule 5 draft, but he was not anywhere close to what he is now. And it does stink that he caught on back with the Yankees. Now the O's have to face Cortez, but it is what it is. But that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for sending in your mailbag questions. If I didn't get into a question that you asked, I will make sure to get to it on an upcoming mailbag episode as well. Remember, you can send in those questions via email, via Twitter, via the comments here on YouTube, via Apple Podcasts, the review section, however it may be. We will get to your mailbag question on the next mailbag episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. But coming up for the Orioles this weekend, they are in Minneapolis, the Minnesota Twins who uh, came into Baltimore and took two of four from the O's in Baltimore back in May. Now the two teams will meet once again for three games. Spencer Watkins versus Joe Ryan in the Friday night game, an 8-10 start. A 2-10 start on Saturday, it's Jordan Lyles versus Sonny Gray. And then on Sunday, Tyler Wells versus Devin Smeltzer in a 2 o'clock game on Sunday. Twins 43-36 and on the season. They currently have a one-game lead over the Cleveland Guardians heading into this series. Twins have actually given up back-to-back home walk-off home runs in their last two games in Cleveland. So they're coming back home trying to respond from that and hold their division lead. And of course, who is on that team? But Carlos Correa, who we hoped would be an Oriole and maybe in the future will be an Oriole. So hopefully the O's can do a little recruiting when they see Correa in Minnesota this weekend. But I'll be back with you on Monday. I'll be back to my regular digs with the Orioles background behind me. The lighting will look better. Everything will look better here on the pod when I come back on Monday, recapping the weekend series between the Orioles and the Twins and getting you my three big takeaways from that series. Hopefully the O's can snap this little two-game losing streak and get back to some winning baseball. But I'll be back to recap it all between the O's and the Twins on Monday. But until then... I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.